Dave Nelson from New Jersey. Yeah, Dave. I'm Dave, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Dave. I'm from Charlotte. I uh, just recently retired from the Navy after 38-year tour. I was fortunate here last year to uh, run into a gentleman who was recruiting, and uh, his name is Dr. Taggart, who was medical director of the Charlotte Treatment Center. And since September, I've been working for Charlotte Treatment Center, and it's been a great experience to change jobs. I was uh, a product of the Navy's uh, Rehabilitation uh, Center at Long Beach. One of the greatest experiences I received after getting out of Treatment Center was to have the name of someone by the name of Bill Daniels, who lived in Morris, Morris something. They didn't quite know what it was or whether it was in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. But I found out that it was Morristown, New Jersey. And from then on, I started attending that meeting on Thursday nights. Uh, this was one of my mainstay meetings, although prior to uh, going to Morristown, I had gone to local AA meetings in my local community. After attending Morristown for about a year, uh, I recognize the fact that, hey, there were doctors in the community where I was living, uh, just north of Philadelphia. And with the help of a couple others, we started a Philadelphia professional group. And it was rough sledding at first. We, uh, I remember one night there was only one dollar contributed to the kitty, and I was the only one there, and I contributed that buck. That uh, that experience is helping me now in Charlotte because we've uh, just recently we have had now four meetings in Charlotte among our Charlotte professional group, and we know it's going to be rough sledding. So far, the smallest number of doctors we've had is four. Someone mentioned something about sponsors. My experience with that with uh, sponsorship was. I'm sure an act of the higher, my higher power. Soon after I got back to uh, Philadelphia following rehab, in fact, it was about a week after I got back there, I was in the Navy, the flight surgeon of the base. This commander walked in the office. He looked scared. And he says, I've got to, got to talk to the flight surgeon. I said, well, come on in. And he said, i, I got to tell, tell the flight surgeon something. He closed the door of my office. He says, I'm an alcoholic. The Navy doesn't know about it. I went through the Air Force Rehab Center in Las Vegas. I, I smiled. God, I needed him. He had had a year's sobriety. To me, that was an act of God, my higher power. Because since then, he's been my sponsor. And it was, our relationship has been one which I think sponsorship should be. Because we could have lunch together regularly. We went to meetings together regularly. 
and it was a great experience uh, having a sponsor who really felt for me and that loved me and I could love. After going to Charlotte, why, uh, I found a temporary sponsor and then finally found a, a physician who uh, were sharing sponsorship with each other as uh, we grow in the program in Charlotte. I still maintain weekly contact with my sponsor in the Philadelphia area. He has been down to uh, Charlotte. He came down and we went to the Atlantic December conference together. And I've been up to Philly and we've attended meetings up there together. With regarding my work now, I certainly enjoy it. Uh, I personally think maybe I'm going to too many AA meetings because my life isn't balanced as it should be, and I expect to uh, get active in something other than AA because uh, I, I need to get in contact with the community. I had an interesting experience with the State Medical Board in North Carolina. I went to the to the board with the statement, hey, I'm an alcoholic. And so I had to appear before the medical board to get my boards by reciprocity. And one of the uh, statements made by one of the female members of the board was, uh, how could the Navy let anyone become an alcoholic? <laughs> I seriously looked at her and said, in the Navy, drinking is considered leadership. <laughs> when I appeared before the medical board again, the same girl said to me, Doctor, doesn't it make you want to drink to be working at a detox center? So that gave me an indication of how much she understood about alcohol. How it is now, I'm enjoying my work, my life is getting better, and uh, hey, I'm enjoying this, and thank you for letting me be here. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. It's Gemma from Dallas here. Come on up, Jim. My name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Through God's grace in this program, I haven't had a drink since 1 August of 79. I'm very grateful for that. Thank God for AA. I told my story once, and a guy came up after the meeting. He said, you know, I've been having trouble sleeping. He said, uh, I'll call you up. You tell me your story. He said, that'll put me to sleep for sure. It's the, the low overhead home drinker, the den philosopher type. Um, I've got a sailboat, and I know I love that boat, because I got an outside opinion on it. I had it pulled out of the water a few years back, and I had it up on our trailer. And uh, the rudder had gotten fouled, and it wouldn't turn properly with algae, so I uh, was underneath the boat, and I, I glued some emery board to, uh, uh, paper to a, a dowel, and I was under my boat going like this, shoving this dowel up in her, and uh, some guy came along and said, you really love that boat. <laughs> I said, I know I was going to get a, a comment on it, but I, that's a good one. But two years ago, this time, I didn't love that boat very much. It was a regatta weekend of May, and it was always a big time for us. And I don't know, I, I had stopped loving the guys in the fleet. I had stopped caring about the boat. I forgot 
really what good competition was, and things had just all gone to hell, and I had a rotten attitude, and I didn't know why. It was a very bad time. Um, I had gone to the parties at the club, I had drunk too much, and I had a bottle on my boat, and after I put the kids to bed in the tent, why, I'd go down and sit in my boat, and I'd drink right out of the bottle. And I'd gotten to the point where the kids were showing a lot of whites of the eye, you know, that that withdrawal, that wary look. And I didn't know what was going wrong. Well, a few weeks back, we finally got enough water in the lake, and I was able to, to go out sailing again. And I'd, I'd forgotten how to do it. I got the books out, and I was studying about sail setting and controls. And, uh, and I was reading a book called Starting to Win. And the guy said, you know, he said, there are a lot of bad habits we get into. We, we do keep doing the same thing over and over again, and, and we don't look at those habits. You just pick them up in any sport, golf, tennis, whatever, and you don't question it. And I had really gotten to that place. You know, these guys, uh, it was always easier to say, well, they had more money, they could buy a better boat or better sales or whatever. He said, if you don't want to win, keep doing the same thing over and over again. Don't look at your habits. Don't take note of the, of the wind conditions. Don't build up a, a mental record of how you performed in a given day. Don't learn from your experiences. He said, don't, don't concentrate on what you're doing. Uh, sail that boat the same old way. Uh, he said, if you really want to win, you have to learn how to helm a boat. You have to learn how to keep a hand on the tiller to see if you're in balance. He said, don't look at the guys ahead of you to see... Where, what they're doing uh, to go past you, how they've set their sails, how their tiller is. Uh, don't keep one eye out to weather, to look where the big gusts are coming. Those guys act. The guy in the middle of the fleet reacts. Um, don't build up that memory bank or look at it. Don't examine the mistakes that you've made tactically during that day. I threw away all the self-help books because that was the story of my life right there. I had never done any observation of myself. I had not kept a hand on that tiller inside me, and I was out of control and out of balance. A few weeks ago, I, I went out sailing again, and it was a different story this time, because it started off light airs in the morning and built up during the day. And this time I paid attention, and I set the sails properly. And I was able to control it, and I was able to develop that sense of a hand on the tiller, and it made a lot of difference to me because the emotions that had been churning inside me for years that I'd never listened to and never never observed as, as being important that I could just drink away had thrown me off, off uh, course so very, very often. I didn't know what to do with them. And a funny thing happened. I was sailing alone that day, and I used to do that a lot. I'd take out a couple of six-packs, but all of a sudden, after flogging around that lake all day, I just decided I don't want to sail alone anymore, that this is ridiculous. The book said, if you want to lose, don't ask for help. Don't ask somebody else who's, who's doing better than you are what it's all about. It had a terrific impact on me because my attitudes two years ago were so very rotten. Now, this year, we got this weekend coming up again in a few weeks, and it's, it's a different story because the kids... Don't look at me that same way anymore. I think, well, I was, I was reading a book 
another book, and it talked about the rules. Studying these damn rule books is like studying German irregular verbs, you know. I, it's boring as hell, but it's got to be done. I went through the rule book, and at the end, it said that there's one more rule you have to remember. The rules are designed to provide safe and fun sailing and to avoid collisions to protect life and property. If you're foul, there's no referee out there. You're the one who has to decide if you're foul and you have to protest. And there's another rule that says if someone sees you foul and you don't protest, you get protested. And again, it really impacted on me that this was how I had lived. I had drunk to hide those feelings of anger, of frustration. I hadn't protested. I had never stood up for myself. I had no clear goals or objectives. And I allowed myself to be fouled and, and not raised a fuss over it. And it made me more and more angry. Today I've learned not to live that way anymore. If this program, as I've heard said many times, were simply about not drinking, I wouldn't bother with it. I'd rather just go out and drink because I enjoyed it for many years. It was a wonderful social thing for me. I was kidding some of the drug addicts, you know. I, I, I can't see the guys getting together on the piano to shoot up. <laughs> for me, alcohol meant a lot of fun. It was a great facilitator, but it, it eased my way socially. Today, it's so different. Uh, the program has become so very meaningful for me in all areas of my life. And I, I'm just so happy to see that my interest in, in so many other areas has come back and my attitude has changed. Thank you very much. Uh, John, I really like the analogy for with sailing. I'm a, a terribly frustrated sailor. Um, remember when the uh, when I went in the Navy in uh, '50, the Navy was everybody was scraping the barrel for doctors, and uh, I bought a set of blues and whites, and uh, I fantasized uh, being on the bridge of a destroyer and telling the skipper how to, you know, move it around. And uh, in three months. Uh, uh, I was in the Marine Corps, I was on the ground, I was with the grunts, and I never got to wear one damn one of those uniforms. And I never have since. I've always been around the Marine Corps. Every time I went, when I was in the reserve, went back in the reserve, I got a Marine battalion and I stayed with them. And I finally got out of the Navy and uh, I, I expected to get a green banana or something when I left. Anyway, thanks, Jen. Stan from Houston. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I'm Stan. I'm from Houston, Texas. Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm. I think I'm getting a lot from this meeting. Uh, first of all, it's a very humbling experience. It's humbling to me to uh, hear uh, so many people who I think has this disease uh, worse than I and probably suffered uh, more than I who have done more uh, to recover than I have. Uh, 
And I'm also getting the notion that one of my problems is that although I have a, an experienced and good sponsor, that I have not been using him enough. And <clears throat> and with his uh, cooperation, I think I'll do something about that when I get back home. And like all meetings I go to, I think I do get something useful uh, from it. As I understand, my uh, <clears throat> duty here is to uh, say how a recent uh, entrant into the program achieved and maintains sobriety. And my ach <clears throat> achieving the sobriety of nine months that I held and being able to maintain it is based on two very basic biologic phenomena, and these are <clears throat> uh, pain suffering and uh, pain and suffering and fear. I'm an alcoholic of long standing uh, who fortunately or unfortunately was able to keep it hidden for a long time uh, because being a doctor and a surgeon I, <clears throat> I couldn't continue this profession that I loved uh, unless I did it that way which meant that most of the drinking was done uh, uh, at medical meetings or away hunting and fishing, or at least when I was totally disconnected from my work. Uh, and in as much as these episodes were not too frequent, uh, I was able to get by with it. And uh, also recognizing uh, back in the late 60s that it was a problem or certainly a potential problem. Uh, and hearing uh, a specialist in alcoholism is at the VA in Houston say, uh, when they'd interview him on television, they'd say, Dr. So-and-so, uh, what's the cause of alcoholism? And he'd say alcohol. Well, <clears throat> when I was trying to treat myself, I treated by just not drinking. And, of course, being a doctor and trying to treat myself and uh, using uh, uh, inadequate methods, uh, uh, I'd always have these slips. I could go a year without drinking and never have hangovers, and my family would be happy about this, uh, Nonetheless, I'd forget those embarrassments, uh, which usually were abusing my family. I could get along pretty well with most everybody else and uh, <clears throat> suppress any hostility or disappointments in other people, and I tend to take it out on my family and myself. And, of course, uh, I would have disappointments as my children grew older and became independent and no longer able to manage them. Uh, get them to do what I wanted to do, and I, I, uh, began to feel inadequate, and, and then as I, uh, uh, they became more sensitive to my alcoholism, which became more frequent, uh, in, uh, recent years, uh, it got to be a very painful situation, uh, I became, uh, got into a position where I was maneuverable 
and manageable based on the fact that I had all these regrets uh, and uh, of abusing them and and they were getting away with things. Uh, I mean, if they needed or wanted something, whether they needed it or not, they very often could get it. Uh, uh, with my trying to make up uh, uh, what I had done uh, uh, when I was drunk. And uh, close friends uh, <coughs> uh, uh, also knew about my drinking. Uh, uh, although I thought they were drinking about as much as I was, uh, uh, as I've sobered up, I found out they really weren't. But they were managing me too, and anyway, I really got to where I was suffering, and I, I was getting <laughs> extremely tired of this, uh, uh, business, and, uh, one of my friends, whose wife is an alcoholic, uh, pointed out to me uh, that uh, he had been watching me for a couple of years and saw that I was about five years behind his wife, and he thought that I had a professionally and a reputation in Houston and and more distant places, a a real fine setup, Uh, and if I were to quit this stuff, I'd essentially be getting off the elevator at a relatively high floor. But uh, he felt that if I continued, uh, I would wind up in some kind of bottom. And uh, God, he, neither he nor I wanted to anticipate what this bottom might be. Uh, but this really shook me up. Uh, <clears throat> There I was faced with the idea of losing everything that was dear to me, uh, my family, <laughs> my profession, and uh, my friends. And also he wisely pointed out to me something that I already knew but was also denied. And he and I had several great friends who were great people in Houston, very outstanding people, professionally and uh, (laughs) philanthropically, uh, very substantial citizens uh, who'd already passed away. And both he and I had the privilege of serving them as their doctors at at some uh, uh, form or fashion. (laughs) So this... uh, Business uh, came to a head uh, nine months ago. Uh, <clears throat> all this fatigue of the pain and suffering that I was undergoing uh, with the alcoholism and then the fear of losing my life, but uh, particularly the fear of losing my position and my profession. And I was ready to give the give it up. And I had been really in that mood for some time, but really didn't know how to how to go about it. And and being possessed with the ignorance of knowing what to do on the one hand, and the shame on the other, I was uh, uh, sort of 
locked into a, a position of inactivity. <laughs> but, I, but I had uh, had several things to happen. I, uh, one of my alcoholic doctor friends who was in on this confrontation and <laughs> uh, referred a patient uh, to me for an operation. Uh, an alcoholic uh, family doctor referred him to him. Anyway, this man was a member of the AA uh, for a good many years and was a great patient. He identified himself as a chronic alcoholic by virtue of the fact he didn't want me to get him hooked on some kind of drugs. Then I began to reflect on all the members of the AA that I knew, and and I was, of course, had always been impressed with these people, extremely impressed. And then the AA member who came with my non-alcoholic friend uh, to see me this day, about three months before, had come to make some amends, which he felt he should do. I, really, it uh, should have been easy for him because he didn't really owe me any amends. I really uh, felt like embracing him or becoming uh, uh, attached to him in some way so that I could be taken into this uh, treatment program that obviously had done him so much good. Well, anyway, this came to pass, and it was on a Tuesday afternoon, and I was ready to go. They didn't have much uh, <laughs> trouble. In fact, they had no trouble in convincing me it was time to do something about it. And my friend John Lewis was going to be my sponsor, introducer into the AA, and I was ready to go. He had elected to, for my first meeting, to be the doctor's meeting in Houston, which is on Wednesday night, as you've already heard. Well, I decided, okay, well, I'm going to kiss this stuff goodbye. So Tuesday night I went home, and it was a good night for me. My family was out of town, and that's usually the way I drank, uh, with just my family and close friends, and then when it got bad. It was used by myself. Well, I had three martinis, and so far that's been the end of it. Because I constantly remind myself that I am an alcoholic, and that uh, sobriety is the at least the start of the recovery. And uh, I have had no difficulty uh, flying airplanes. I do a lot of traveling, give a lot of medical talks, and uh, uh, have an opportunity to uh, drink. But uh, a bottle of whiskey now is like a bottle of iodine. It's got skull and crossbones written all over it. I've learned that it's a disease. And to me, it's like heart failure or cancer. It's going to kill you in, in all kinds of ways with its primary and its metastatic lesions. 
And his treatment is like uh, advanced cancer, like heart failure. For example, uh, heart failure, uh, <clears throat> uh, you got to be digitalized, but that ain't the end of it. you got to take a maintenance dose. Well, this stuff, uh, I think, is different, and uh, there's good things about coming to these meetings. I see everybody, most everybody, much more advanced than me in their recovery, but... <clears throat> The good thing is I get hope. I was on sort of a hope, at least emotionally and psychologically, in a hopeless uh, position nine months ago. Well, now at least I've got a lot of hope. And I look upon this disease as in contrast to cancer, in contrast to heart failure. If you stay off the stuff and try through your inventory or whatever to get the, to the roots of these emotional or character defects or whatever that cause you to drink, one can not only be sober, but achieve a degree of serenity that would make an individual like me who has chosen the medical profession and who's devoted so much time and has a reputation of being good is to continue practicing this profession, doing a good job, but more importantly, from a personal point of view, uh, do and derive satisfaction out of being a better husband, a better father, and a better friend to the community. Uh, so, in summary then, I, uh, in contrast to the days when I tried to treat myself, <laughs> and I had all those slips, to be sure, maybe a year, more or less between slips, I would forget. But now I don't forget, because I go to these meetings and I, I hear and have the opportunity to tell my story, so the pain is, or the knowledge of it, is always in front, and the problems that people have gotten into, the fears that are associated with that, are, are always in the forefront, and I don't let that escape, so... So far, that has helped maintain sobriety, and I have derived some pleasures from it. Uh, and although fear and uh, of the pain and the losses has been a motivating factor, <laughs> I nonetheless have had a good feeling about some freedoms which I have achieved. I don't have to fear being caught drunk, getting arrested, being thrown off the hospital staff. I don't have the fear of going home and and uh, having any sort of problems that I might have been responsible for uh, cast off as being a result of my alcoholism. 
so forth and so on. In summary, I'd like to say that I feel that I'm just beginning uh, my treatment. I've learned since I've been here some of the deficits in my own program, and I will <laughs> therefore know uh, the route to shoring this up. I recognize even more clearly the need uh, for the therapy and for <laughs> these I would like to express my gratitude to all of you who have shared your experiences with me and others. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stan. We have about uh, 30 minutes, so I'm going to ask uh, the rest of the people called to limit themselves to five or six or so minutes so we can get down to the bottom of the list. Next man is a very good friend of mine. He's uh, the Dallas Group's uh, uh, outstanding Aggie. For those of you who are not from the state of Texas, this is a real honest-to-God Texas Aggie. Frank? I'm Frank, and I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is February the 4th of 1976. There are a lot of Aggie jokes, but uh, no need to tell you one of them because you get to see one. <laughs> this was brought to mind uh, one night at the Aquarius Group. Jim O.H. Is, has 32 or 3 years of sobriety. I'd left my pickup running and the wife said she'd go turn it off. And I said, well, honey, you better find the key. It's locked up. In but I did happen to have one and I introduced Jim and that was when he put the Aggie business on me. And it's probably as fun a put-down as I've ever had. I was born in a little town close to here, New Texas. It's ready as a town. It's uh, 23 miles north of resume speed. <laughs> and there's, there's not, not much there. But it's, uh, I went through a lot of hell to get back close to it. And it really is the name of town. And it's exists. They've got post office and used to have blacksmith shop, cash and carry. And, uh, really a beautiful little place. Sabinal River, cypress trees. Somehow I'm going to get back there. This old uh, M.D. years ago donated about five acres for cemetery. Nobody's buried there. You can just say, I want to be buried over here. That uh, is not my goal today, but uh, eventually I'd uh, 
like to be back there. I didn't have much uh, problem with alcohol, and then later on didn't have any trouble with it unless I ran out. <laughs> and I made sure that uh, I didn't run out. And being a veterinarian, uh, those dogs didn't care much if. But gin made me act funny, and uh, vodka wasn't, which made me tall and handsome and eloquent, invisible. <laughs> I wasn't invisible to other people, but I was to myself. I had a dentist friend, and he mixed up a brew one night. At 10 o'clock, I looked up to find him and couldn't, and at 10.15, I looked up and couldn't find me. And had a few blackouts. Uh, had a little run-in with the law. Uh, forced into AA the first time to keep from going back to a federal, being a resident of a federal correctional institution. That's convict. <laughs> and... Uh, they didn't have anything there I liked, and most of the things I really liked weren't there. So I didn't see any need or didn't have any desire to go back. Uh, fingerprint is the best thing that happens to you, and that's not any fun either. But they thought that I had sort of problems. I'd walk down the corridor and sing Summertime and the Living is Easy. And uh, they said, something wrong with you, fella. I said, well, you don't understand. This is a vacation and uh, sheets are clean and a little recreation area. Get to work at the dairy and uh, no phones to answer. They really didn't answer understand because everybody wants to use the phone. But I just took it as a respite from because during the day I have to have the as fast as I talk, it takes me a long time to get off the phone. But I forced into AA, didn't uh, want to get involved and uh, want to learn about it and stayed dry eight months and then stayed bad drunk eight months and ended up couldn't walk, couldn't pick up a piece of ice and put it in my mouth. Really didn't feel very good. And a friend of mine was at Presbyterian Hospital, and he said, you're going to a meeting tonight. And I said, well, I don't feel very good, Jim. I think maybe I feel a little better. I'll go. He said, well, you don't understand. He said, you're going to a meeting tonight. And uh, I'd made a deal with my wife to, if she wanted me to come back home, I would if uh, we'd uh, go to AA. I knew that she'd had a problem a long time. She's bad drunk. And, uh, I was on a nine, nine year, and she fussed at me, and I never did like to get fussed at. And made my hands break out. <laughs> couldn't couldn't convince her of that. She thought it was tomatoes or dogs or soap or but uh and we built some real fine resentments for each other. And 
But I wasn't interested in getting involved in this program. And uh, I had to get somebody to sign the thing so I could show the district attorney and the judge that I'd been there. I could have gotten somebody walking down the street. They wouldn't know. But, uh, when I made, uh, got 11 out of 12 of those questions right, that uh, 92 and, or 91 and a half, whatever it is, that's the highest grade I ever made on a test. <laughs> and I knew pretty well that I was an alcoholic, but I still had some business I needed to take care of at the Holiday Inns and around, and I wasn't willing to quit drinking. But when I was nearly dead, I thought I better. And uh, I reached out, and AA was there. And uh, A little later, the doctor's group in Dallas, which has been tremendous support, aid to me, uh, got involved, and Michael put me to work uh, last summer to Wednesday night, uh, giving the steps, the uh, first five steps at ATRC in Dallas. And wife had overdosed uh, back in March. I guess he knew I needed to start this service business. I had the faith and the fellowship, but the service is what I needed to get busy on. Uh, I didn't really intend to come to San Antonio. It's uh, had a few hazards getting here. The tree had fallen on my car and house, and I was getting that patched. And they put a new windshield in this week. And about New Bronzeville, I realized I didn't have a sticker on my windshield. And uh, almost panicked, but I got it uh, inspected yesterday. Didn't miss some of a good meeting, but I couldn't drive back to Dallas with a bare windshield. Got uh, a lot of help. Got a long way to go. This program is just unbelievable. I was dead, and somebody said last night they wasn't sure there was a God. Well, if they just want to look around, and all of us are here because there is one, I think. I know that's why I'm here. I had no chance. I had no way to to not drink. And God took that desire and compulsion away. And I don't need to drink anymore. I don't care if I don't fit or don't match or, you know, he and I got it a pretty good deal. And uh, if I don't, uh, doesn't, it doesn't bother me. You know, being an Aggie's okay. With only minority group, it's still legal to discriminate against. <laughs> and you know that uh, that gives uh, that gives uh, uh, an alcoholic that feeling of really being unique. And I guess that's what we thought we were or wanted to be. Truth has come tough. I didn't know that I was dishonest until I found out that a little bit about what honesty and truth really are. Not cash register. I wouldn't uh, shortchange you or uh, quit stealing a long time ago. 
sold a little dope, but that was easy, and the hours were short, and the money was good, but the retirement was hell. <laughs> and these crises of limits that we go through, or used to go to a meeting, run up stairs and get a cup of coffee and sit down and start sweating. And I thought, well, this must be a spiritual awakening. And uh, Jim Williams says, hell, you're just hung in middle menopause. And that's sort of gone and things are better and it's great to be here. To know, not feel it all the time, but to know in the Lord's Prayer what the word glory really means is better than any high I ever got off anything else. Thanks, Frank. You see why we love him. I can look at Frank and get relaxed. Honest to God. Uh, man is from uh, Houston. from Houston. Um, uh, this is the first uh, IDA meeting I've been at, and uh, Ed already told me at our doctor's meeting in Houston that if I came to this meeting, I would I would learn something that would help me. And actually, I got here late last, and I didn't get in until 9 o'clock, and I just got into the tail end of the meeting after the dinner, and uh, immediately the first speaker got up and said that he was a member of the CIA, and I suddenly discovered that I was a member of the CIA. I'm Catholic, Irish, and an alcoholic. So I learned that just right and come in the door. Uh, I was born in Ireland and did my medical training there in London came to Houston about 16 years ago and been there since um, I, I'm not going to go into my story it's not a very interesting story I really only started having significant problems with alcohol probably 7 or 8 years ago I'd, as I look back now I realize I was an alcoholic the moment I took the first drink didn't drink much for 20 years, and that probably, I don't know why, but that uh, was just luck, good luck, I think. But I came into the program two and a half years ago. wish I could say that was my sobriety, did it's not, but I came into the program two and a half years ago, mainly because I was concerned about my physical health. Mm -hmm. I'd had a a problem with my, or at least I thought I had a problem with my heart. But my cardiologist, who's a good friend of mine, and I'm a cardiologist myself, incidentally, was more perceptive than I was, and he didn't take him too long to discover the true nature of the problem, and he sent me to the doctor's meeting in, in Houston. And that may have been, in, in some ways, a disadvantage to start with, because, as I say, I came in because I was concerned, and I realized that alcohol was certainly bad for me physically. I'm not so sure that I realized at the beginning how 
bad it was for me mentally. But I've uh, had a number of slips since I came into the program. I don't quite know why. I've been dry 95, probably about 95% of the time. And I had my last slip six weeks ago. But I, I don't think the time has been totally wasted. I've learned a good deal about alcoholism. And I've learned a fair amount about myself. And I think I've finally learned that I've got a irrespective of my physical health that I've got a fatal progressive disease and that if I don't uh, uh, quit drinking uh, it's going to kill me um, I've also learned that that being an AA is not just about stopping drinking that this is a spiritual program, and unless you can change your life around, uh, that you're not going to make it in the program. I, I've learned that much in the five or six slips that I've had. Uh, and incidentally, none of those slips, uh, as I was at the slip meeting last night, uh, none of those were under page of great stress. Most of my slips occurred when I was feeling good. And... Uh, Fortunately, most of them are fairly short-lived, and if I've done one anything right since I came in, I kept going back to the meetings. Uh, and uh, the other uh, meetings, this particular meeting is about achieving sobriety and maintaining sobriety. Well, I can't obviously talk with great authority about maintaining sobriety as yet, but the way, I, the way I stand at the moment is that I feel that I think I've learned that unless you make AA the number one priority in your life and put everything else second, you're not going to make it in this program. I think I've realized that. Secondly, I didn't have a sponsor until six weeks ago. I've, I've been trying to think why not, because, you know, I've, everybody has sponsors in AA, and I've heard them talking about it, but I think it was partly laziness, but I think it was also partly because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want any one person to know that much about me, and I, I realize now that that was subconsciously part of the problem. I've got a sponsor now, and as a matter of fact, he's the He's the patient that Stanley was talking about. He's got 18 years in the program. Of course, he's not a doctor, but he's got a tremendous, I think, tremendous sobriety. And I think with his help and working the steps of this program, I hope to come back here a year later next year and be able to say that I've had a birthday in in the meantime, thank you. Thank you, Miss. Another one of our favorite people in Dallas, uh, Jack. I am Jack, and I am an alcoholic. 
because of the shortage of time, I'll not labor you with the long gronkolog. It's really not that much different from others. Uh, there was a lot of excitement in it, a lot of pain. Some of the things looking back were even funny. Alcohol didn't uh, play a real part in my life until I uh, finished my uh, medical school, went into training. Uh, medical school was tough enough for me, and I devoted my time to that. But then uh, for internship and residency, I took on drinking for fun. Uh, as time passed on, I realized that I was drinking a lot more than other people, normal people who drank for fun. But I rationalized I was having a hell of a lot more fun than they were. So <laughs> went on with that. And it was not until many years later I, I went on into academic medicine and uh, enjoyed. Had nothing wrong with my professional life. About uh, four years before I came into AA, uh, Mike Healy came to medical school to my office and asked for time. And the secretary and I <clears throat> recognized the name. She said it was a personal discussion. I granted him the time, and Mike came in and told me his story. And I listened attentively, and uh, when he left, I thought, Christ, uh, he's been through, through a lot. I wonder why he's sharing all his misery with me. <laughs> uh, he uh, brought up some things in that made me think that he thought that I had a problem. It's important to me now, and it should have been then, that uh, he recognized in me from a distance across the big town that I might be in trouble. And I perceive myself as being in control of things. I did, however, go to AA more for him than for me, not with an intention of uh, joining AA, as you might say, but just seeing what was there. And I liked the people there. Uh, I went several, well, I went for about six weeks, I guess, several times a week and enjoyed. And I was delighted to find that uh, if one had a problem with alcoholism, there was a place for them to go. Uh, I could not. Uh, the major thing that uh, kept me, I think, from entertaining the thought of these thoughts seriously of joining up was the uh, <clears throat> first step. And it, <laughs> it, uh, it said that we uh, must consider the possibility that we are powerless over alcohol. And I looked around me and saw no evidence of powerlessness. At that time, I had middle-aged success. I was uh, a professor in uh, a first-rate medical school. I was respected by my peers, uh, the students liked me, and I thought that things were okay. I was even above, uh, in some respects, I had three kids against the national average of 2.8. The kids old enough to drive had a car. We lived in a nice part of town. I'd never been sanctioned by anyone except perhaps Mike's uh, uh, comments toward me were an indirect sanction. And I knew of nothing wrong. I really didn't. I was having a good time. I was where I wanted to be. I wanted to move neither upward, downward, laterally in my profession. I was happy. And things were okay. I had not been in jail. Uh, I <clears throat> sympathized with uh, the drunk stories that I'd heard. Those poor people that had been through all this trouble. I had not had that. Uh, I didn't look at some of the things that were important that I had not controlled. I could not... Uh, quite to get my wife to do the things she wanted to do, a lovely lady, but she was not expanding as she should. She should be more. My children were picking out people to associate with that were not of my, uh, my choosing. Things were <clears throat> really not as well as I thought. At any rate, some four years later, I did make it to AA, and some things had transpired. I was no longer a professor at the medical school. In fact, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a wife and three kids. I was uh, below national average in that. 
And uh, I was pretty much alone. And I got into AA by default. I'd always considered that when I had a problem sufficient to get me in, then I would get in. But I slipped past that somewhere. By the time I recognized I was in trouble, there was no reason not to drink. I had no nothing. I didn't even have a dog to feed. Uh, and uh, the paradox of it is that I would uh, not have, I was deteriorating men, uh, mentally and physically. I was yellow. My uh, compatriots told me that I was uh, sick. I was jaundiced. My person where, where I bought my liquor said, I don't know how you keep uh, such a lovely tent in the depth of winter. So I, I like this view better. At any rate, uh, I was visiting a friend and her daughter came in to, uh, Asked for, I was about to leave, and she asked for some downers to counter, uh, counteract her uppers that she had been mixing with beer all afternoon. And I gave her my best lecture about people, the weakness of people that take drugs. And she disagreed, shot me, and that got me into Parkland Hospital. I was surrounded by friends, colleagues, for eight weeks, still just trying, at that point, not caring really, but they were trying to keep me alive. And by default, I went to a, a rehabilitation center, spent eight weeks there, came back and spent the most the miserable three months of my life. I really uh, was hanging on to, uh, I was dry, and people said I should stay that way, but I wondered why. The things that people want to live for were not with me. At any rate, I did suffer that uh, three, four, five, six months out, and somewhere along the line, I began to pick up pieces of sobriety. And to me, that's the most precious thing now. Uh, the way I stay that way, I go to a lot of AA still. I enjoy it, and I go and I listen. I heard something a, a, a little lady at one of our meetings say one time that she had heard somewhere else, probably from Arizona. Whatever you're doing right now is all you can do right now. So be there. Whether you're petting a puppy or making love, be there. I go to AA and I listen. And that's a change for me. I went many years thinking that nobody could tell me much of anything. And now I can learn from anybody. So in that sense, I have many sponsors. I do have a sponsor in the traditional sense. Proud of him. He helps me. But I hear uh, you people are all my sponsor in a way. Glad to be here. I'm going to try to come back. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. We're glad you're here, too. Uh, how about one of our English colleagues, uh, Jack? Come on, Jack. And my name is Jack, and I am an alcoholic. Isn't that a wonderful feeling? You know, to feel great and to actually get a buzz at the thought of coming to an AA meeting. And that's the way it's been with me for the last 370 days. Yes, it's wet outside today. You know, it reminds me, I read somewhere, April is a promise that May must keep. And look at it today, the rain. And yet, it's not raining in my heart. It might be raining outside, but it's a lovely day for me. And that's the way I feel. 
it was in April the 28th that I first came through the door of AA, the Akron group. Martin, Martin took me there. A few days before I'd made that, I'd made the best phone call I ever made in my life. I rang up AA and a fella called Mike from a Bromley group in Kent. He put me in touch with Martin and Martin took me along to the first, my first meeting. He took me into the, the tutorial bar where all the blokes meet and have a meal, all the boys and girls. And he said, I've brought the body, the brain will come later. <laughs> And then, and then he was amazed. He said to me a few, a few weeks later, he said, you know, he said, uh, I always look upon my pigeons as sort of newborn babes. He said, and you've been the easiest delivery I've had. Well, I think the reason for it, you see, everybody here is amazing. The number of people here who've got the double, a double flaw. Well, I've got it too. I'm a compulsive gambler. Yes. For years and years and years, for donkey's years, I had two little gremlins, one on each shoulder. Compulsive gambling. And alcoholism. And, uh, oh, 17 years ago, uh, I went along to the third a meeting of Gamblers Anonymous in London. I went through that door. I mean, if any, gambling was my life and alcohol was my life. I drank like a fish and I gambled like a lunatic. But, GA had to take preference at that time. Because my debts were astronomical. There was no way out. Everybody was telling me I had to go bankrupt. And uh, I had two extra degrees to my name. Two extra lots of letters. NYSO. Not yet struck off. And BAMN. But any minute now. Anyway, Gamblers Anonymous, they, they pinched the program. They pinched the program from Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's the same program. But you know, although I'm Lady Luck's lost lover for 17 years now, even though you've got the Kentucky Derby on today, I look at it all right. I love horses. I love the racetrack. But I don't have the slightest urge to pick up that first bed. And yet I followed that program. My wife was telling me all the time, you've got to go to Alcoholics Anonymous too, you know. And I wouldn't have any of it. I mean, damn it all. Hadn't I made a big enough plunge going into Gamblers Anonymous? Hell's bells. What did she want from me? And for 17 years, 17 years, she was the military government, all right. 
And boy, oh boy, I, I, ca I can't count the number of dog houses I was in. Not to mention the number of dog houses I'd been in before. You know, 20 years ago, my brother, Louis, he's a bookmaker in Glasgow, my hometown. And he was being dried out. And boy, oh boy, he had it bad, and I was sorry for him. You know, he was a skeleton in the family cupboard, as far as I was concerned. Couldn't see myself. Like Phil said, I was invisible with my alcohol. But anyway, he, he was guided into AA and the transformation. It was fantastic. I was so happy for him. Everybody was happy for him. And of course, after a few weeks, he wanted to do a bit of 12-stepping, and the very first fellow he looked at was me. I said, Louis, I'm very happy for you. I think it's marvelous, and I want you to carry on going to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I'm all right. I can control it. I know what to do. Don't you worry. And he was a sensible member. He left me alone. He had two or three goes at me. And then he decided to leave it to me until I was ready. Well, anyway, I was ready about uh, the 17th of April. Mind you, maybe I came in for the wrong reason, in a way, because I had been in a doghouse for two, two weeks. I'd never been in the doghouse as long as that, because I could usually con my way out. You know, I'm a romantic sort of bloke. And uh, she always fell for that sort of thing. But no way this time. I'd let her down three nights running at three big parties, important parties. Got paralytic. <laughs> I had promised her. And I had promised her every morning. Sally used to say to me, this was the, you know, orders of the day. Darling, don't pick up a drink today. We've got a big party. We're going out, you know. The accountants give you a great party. And I say, don't worry. Don't worry. I shan't touch a drop. Not until the party. Not until dinner. Did I help? Anyway, two, two weeks in the doghouse was too much for me. And I thought the only way in scheming... Oh, we can scheme when we're drinking. Of course I was drinking every day for the two weeks I was in the doghouse. And how? But I was on a low, you know, I was on a pretty low sort of uh, pedal. I'd never really got paralytic, just a bit sloshed. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I thought the only way to, the only way to get out of this doghouse is to tell her, uh, that I have got a drinking problem. That's what I said one morning. I woke up. I'd had a hell of a night. You know, all, all the perspirations, all the desperation, and all these pints and pints of water I was drinking. And I changed my pajamas two or three times that night. She used to think it was my anxiety for the patients. You know? It was making me sweat so much. She hadn't a clue there, but she knew I was an alcoholic. Anyway, I sat up 
I felt sorry for myself. I was full of self-pity. I was full of self-contempt. I felt worthless. I felt I hated myself. But most of all, I hated being in the doghouse. So I said, Sally, I feel rotten. I think definitely I've got a drinking problem. Have you got, have you got the telephone number of, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous? You're always talking about it. And you know something? She was out of that bed and she went across that bedroom like a streaker, a flasher. <laughs> and she got that phone number out. And then she said, I'll ring them up now. And this was seven o'clock in the morning. I said, for God's sake, darling, wait until I've seen my patients first. And I was beginning to regret it. Because, you know why I was beginning to regret it? Because I could see myself getting that first drink about noon, you know. That was about the time I started. You know, I do a lot of house calls. Always did. People used to say I worked too hard. But all these house calls were like, you know, lovely little oases, little hideaways. All my patients, they used to bring the bottle out. You know, I used to get up in the morning and I'd say, I'm not going to pick up that first glass. Oh, I knew all about the program. I used to tell my patients that. All my drunken patients. But it didn't work with them, because they always poured out a glass for me after I'd given them my spiel. And I can resist everything. Absolutely everything, except temptation. <laughs> anyway, that's how it all started. That's how it happened. And believe you me, I think it was the most fantastic thing that ever happened to me in my life. Listen, this higher power, he's marvelous fellow. He's great. I, I really, I really say a prayer to him every single day. And you know, when I was in Gamblers Anonymous, 17 years, the only two, well, I did four steps in Gamblers Anonymous. I did step one, and I really did uh, give that absolute acceptance for the fact that I could never control gambling again for the rest of my life, I accepted that. And I did a lot of 12-stepping. For 17 years I've been 12-stepping in, in uh, GA. And God, that's a hell of a, that's a lot of work, believe you me. Anyway, the other two steps I did were step, steps 8 and 9. I had to. My God, I had to make a lot of amends. I had a hell of a list of people. I had 80, eight, at least 80 creditors. And I had to go out, you know, and get them to wait, wait, because my debts were astronomical. But anyway, I've repaid everybody back through that program. And now, now, you know, for these 17 years, apart from compulsive gambling and uh, alcoholism, I had another two. You see, I was drinking more and more and more, drinking myself right into the ground, and I knew I was going to finish up in the gutter prison of the river, unless I gave up. And yet I couldn't stop. I bloody well couldn't. You know, I knew, I knew it was inevitable. I knew I was going to get stuck off. All these things, and yet, like every one of us, 
I just couldn't stop. I wanted to, but I wasn't willing. Anyway, you see, now I'm right into the program. The 12 steps, you know, as far as I'm concerned, every step has got a spring in it. And when I say 370 days, that means I've got 185 feathers on each wing. And I really am floating, flying. They say we're all birds of a feather. I suppose that's where I got this feeling. You know, I, I feel, I've got this fantastic feeling of freedom. A release, a relief. I've got spring in my step, wings on my heels. I, uh, I feel full of fizz, sparkle and froth. And I say this with all humility. My patients have never had it so good. They've now got my undivided attention. They don't have to share it with a bottle. And believe you me, it all started in Glasgow when I graduated in 1938. That's when my love affair with a bottle started. And I should say for 25 years at least, I've been completely out of control. So that's why I've got this marvelous feeling. And I wouldn't lose it. I don't want to lose it for anything. I'm not going to pick up that glass like I won't pick up that bed. Anyway, I haven't got much to... Oh God, look at the time. I remember on my birthday in Starlight, apart from what I told you, like I got two cards. On the other card, I told you about the other card last night. The other card I got from Martin and some of the fellas, it was, it went like this. God, Lord, keep me from the fatal habit of saying something on every subject, on every occasion. Make me thoughtful, but not moody. Make me helpful, but not bossy. That's a nun's prayer, a nun's prayer, 17th century. Anyway, I'll finish up by saying, you, I, could, I, I won't go into the story about this carnation. It's a long story. I haven't got the time. But it has a true meaning for me now. Now that I've entered this wonderful world of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, for me, this buttonhole means something. It, because now, every day's a holiday, every day's a birthday, every day's a wedding. If I wasn't pushing 67, Every night would be a honeymoon. I'm glad, I'm glad my spouse isn't here. She always squirms and gets so embarrassed when I say that. In fact, I was such a big head, I was saying every night's a honeymoon. She couldn't take that. 
Anyway, every day's a winning post. And I shall watch a Kentucky Derby today, and believe you me, I won't pick up that first that bet, first bet, and I certainly won't pick up that first drink. Thank you all for listening to me. God, Jack, you'd be a hard act to follow. Uh, one more man, Ken from England. Ken? Good morning. My name's Ken, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi. I'm over here with my wife and the other members of the British Doctors Group. We come from Cheshire in England, but I can't let Jack just get all his own way. But I was born in Scotland in Aberdeen. Educated in Aberdeen, graduated in Aberdeen, and followed that on by coming Scots by absorption. You don't have to be a Scot to drink Scots, but it helps. My sobriety I like to think of as five years past the 28th of April when I first entered the British Doctors Group and met Martin and Seamus. I'd been around AA, in and out, quite a long time beforehand. I didn't have slips or relapses. I'd just been back drinking. Well, now, what was different this time? Before, as Father Martin says, I think I was just too smart to really understand the program. Five years ago, perhaps, as Father Martin says, I'd become just a little bit dumb, as I had today. Perhaps I'd just become that little bit more demented, because I found sobriety. I found it in St. Bernard's Hospital, where I was taken by my long-suffering wife. She suffered me 34 years past the 28th of April. We shared our wedding anniversary and my AA anniversary with Dr. Seal Starlight. It was a great experience. And I went into St. Bernard's, and I like to describe it best in these words. I had lost everything because I had lost hope. I had lost the God of my understanding. I sought my God, my God I could not see. I sought my soul, my soul eluded me. In that hospital I sought my brother, and I found all three. I think it was there that I found the true fellowship of E.E. I stopped seeking the answer, but I found people. Each day since then, this sobriety has been maintained. It has been maintained by a sincere and deep feeling of gratitude. I'm grateful to the God of my understanding for what I have. I don't crave 
for what I have not. Each morning when I wake, I thank God for another day. I thank God that I have my wife beside me. Perhaps there's not a lot in some people's eyes, but to me it is everything. That gratitude I also would like to extend to IDAA. Like everyone else, I knew the first drink did the damage. What Bill Daniel didn't tell me was that the first convention did the damage. It set up an addiction which has gone on each year, and my wife and I have been over the U.S. each time we've been able to come. In these visits, Bill showed us the Smithers Institute in New York, Honesty House, Helena Lodge, and this time it's been a very great privilege to be the guests of Dr. Steele Seal and his charming wife. It has also been a great experience to share with the current villagers a Starlight Village. May I just say thank you all in the words of Alton Blackwood, without you all. I might have lost my way alone. Thank you, and God bless you.